Hello and welcome back to the SA Pioneering Podcast. In this episode, we hear from Judith Payne, who shared a talk on healthy leadership at the Salvation Army's Emerge Pioneer Gathering in May 2021. Judith is a Salvation Army officer who has served as part of divisional teams, William Booth College in the School for In-Service Training and Development, Assistant Secretary for Personnel, Director for Wellbeing, and now Principal of WBC since February 2021. Over the years, she has developed expertise in leadership, organisation and people development. As always, there are some great conversations raised in this talk and we'd love to hear your thoughts. If you'd like to carry on the conversation, please join our SA Pioneering Discussion Group on Facebook. So find it, search SA Pioneering Podcast on Facebook and it should be there. So now let's hear from Judith on healthy leadership. everyone um i was andrew um suggested the i the um title of healthy leadership and i quite agreed with it and then i thought to myself really in the midst of a global pandemic healthy leadership you've got a sense of humor andrew vertigan <laughs> and um i think that's true and then actually as i've reflected on it and thought about it much much more this is so relevant for the now, so relevant for the now. Um, what does healthy living and healthy leadership look like in a sick, sick world? What does healthy leadership look like um, in a sick world? We are called to live out the kingdom and proclaim it and exhibit it in our lives. And so what does healthy leadership look like in a sick world? Over the past 15 months, it has almost been as if we've just been picked up and transported and dropped down in a totally different place. Or um, is the place that we're seeing it and all the problems that we're seeing now and all the examples of, of brokenness and damage and sickness, are they how society actually was, but it took a pandemic to actually show it and reveal it? I've got a feeling that quite a few of the problems and challenges of COVID were not caused by COVID, but were revealed by COVID. And I think that could be it. Now we're seeing all that was there exposed in amazing Technicolor and um, we, what we see is vulnerable people, isolated communities, fearful, a totally unbalanced society and community, unbalanced in terms of inequalities in so many aspects of life. And the health and well-being is one of those areas that is totally unbalanced. To be honest, the health and well-being of our colleague citizens in our communities and in this country and right around the world should always have been of significant importance to us, always. But suddenly it's before us in ways that we can't miss, we can't ignore. It's in such sharp focus that we can no longer be failed to be impacted by the health and the sickness 
and the struggles and the brokenness in our world and in our communities. We are now deeply aware of it in ways that we couldn't have imagined before. And that's a massive issue. Let me just give you three examples of what I've read recently um, in the papers and on the television. This is from the BBC in December 2020. This was the headline, pandemic causes spike in breakups and divorces. And these have not yet peaked. So as I read through on, on um, the internet a little bit more about that, there's a British law firm that actually measured and evidenced 122% increase in divorces between July and October 2020 compared to July to October 2019. 122% raise in divorces and marriages. The same evidence has been identified right across the other side of the world in China, in the US and in Europe and Sweden. Never have there been so many marriage and relationship breakdowns. Our relationships are sick. Domestic violence is higher than ever before. And the, the article said, things can be expected to get a lot worse. Social disconnection and isolation at this level will go beyond what we can imagine, the impact of it. That's sickness in our relationships, December 2020. Then um, February 21 in the British Medical Journal, we read some very strange things, don't we? But the British Medical Journal, an article entitled Poverty, Health and COVID-19. And this is a quote. Even before COVID-19, extremely disturbing trends were emerging in England. This was based in England, but I think it's represented around the whole of the UK. Growing child poverty, homelessness, food poverty, led to an unprecedented rise in infant mortality, mental health problems, stalling life expectancy, especially in women in the poorest areas and cities, even before COVID-19. Since COVID-19, those on low incomes have been disproportionately affected by the impact of the pandemic. In fact, the worst affected are low income families with small children. And evidence is that they have had to spend 40% more money having the children at home and in lockdown, whilst the higher income families with no children have saved almost 40%. Disproportionate impact on people in our community. And so those already struggling, struggle more. And it says the long-term impact will affect the poorest 
in increasing health inequalities throughout the UK and the most devastating outcomes are yet to come. We can expect poorer children to be impacted even as they grow up. And we are expecting that when they become adults, they will fail to achieve the income that they might have done had they not gone through this. We're talking about lifetime challenges for these people. We need to be aware of this. That was February 21. April 21, in the Guardian newspaper, psychiatrists warn of record numbers of children and adults seeking help for poor mental health. We're in the grip of a mental health crisis. 80,000 226 more under 18s were referred for treatment to Mental Health England in April to December 2020 than in April to December 2019. Did you get that number? More than 80,000 more under 18s. The actual figure was over 370,000 under 18s were referred for mental health treatment during those few months. I, I find it difficult to take those numbers in, I have to be honest. And if you then look at emergency mental health cases, that was emergency referrals, they're up by 20%. Pre-March 2020, one in 10 adults in the UK were impacted by poor mental health. By April 2020, that number is one in five. We're hoping that the pandemic is actually being controlled and we might be coming to the point of coming out, but the health crisis is only just beginning. The crisis in relationships, healthy relationships, healthy mental health, and actual health and poverty. This is, is, is a challenge. And we, we have, we are leaders called to lead and minister and serve in the midst of that. So my first question, what does healthy leadership look like in a sick society? Those are some of the challenges that we face. And I'd like to consider this this evening from two perspectives, um, recognizing that actually this is, this is just scratching the surface. If this is something that you guys are really interested in, if God's calling you to think more deeply about this, then you're gonna need way more time. But I'm hoping this would be a starting point to just get you going, to start listening to the, the, the issues a little bit more, listening to God a little bit more deeply, listen to, to those that you're ministering to a little bit more deeply, listening to one another, looking to Jesus, looking to his word, looking around you. We've got a lot of learning to do together if we're going to make an impact in this area. So from two perspectives, first of all, how might my healthy living 
proclaim God's kingdom and express a prophetic ministry in a sick world? That's the first question. And secondly, a little bit later on, how can I thrive rather than just survive? Um, as I am fragile and vulnerable and weak myself as the next person, so how can I thrive and survive as a leader in ministry in these days? But first of all, how might my healthy living proclaim God's kingdom and express prophetic ministry in a sick world? Perhaps sometimes without even saying a word, my living, my being. One of my personal questions in a challenging situation um, is always, Judith, what is love calling me to do in this situation? What is love calling me to do in this situation? And sometimes it's not always immediately clear. And in those situations, what I do is I go right back to basics. And, and when I'm trying to work out what I'm meant to be doing, I go right back to basics and say, so what was it Jesus was doing when he came? What was Jesus doing? And straight away, if I ask myself that question, what was Jesus doing? We go to John 10, 10. John chapter 10, verse 10. Jesus explained his reason for being here. I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. This was the mission of Jesus in the world. He came that people might have life and have it more abundantly. And I'm the servant of my servant Lord. So what am I called to do? I'm called to actually manifest a kingdom whose Lord is able to give life and give it more abundantly. And he wants me to have this life and to show this life and express this life and share this life so other people can experience this life as well and of course that is one of the first marks of mission isn't it the first mark of mission to proclaim the kingdom of God and I think and I believe that in this matter of life in all its fullness our living this life is part of the proclamation of the kingdom of God um, all Christians we're called to live out the life of Jesus in us and that life in itself goes out through us and expresses the kingdom of God as a proclamation in a sick world. Not only is this proclamatory, um, it's also the task of prophetic mission. So Brueggemann says prophetic mission, the intention of it is to nurture, to nourish and evoke a consciousness and perception alternative to the consciousness and perception of the dominant culture around us. The dominant culture around us at the moment is fragile and broken and struggling and sick. It's, it's lamenting, it's languishing, it's struggling. And we are called in a prophetic ministry to live the kingdom life in the midst of that and say, this is how it is. But this is how the kingdom is. This is what we are meant to, to, to call and live a life that is visibly different from the world around us, the culture around us and society around us. 
We are called to live the life of Jesus, life more abundant than you can get anywhere else in this world. You get it from Jesus. What a calling we have to share. What a calling. So here's the question. Does this mean we have to be okay and right and strong and healthy in every way? Um, am I about to make you all feel guilty for the struggles that you have, for the areas in which you are vulnerable? And, and I would say, of course not. Of course not. We are real people living in a real world. And that's what makes our living of the life so incredible. We're cracked pots, ordinary pots, in which the glory of God shines through. We are ordinary people and live in that way. But one of the most incredible things that Rick Warren said, and I can't even rem remember where he said it, but I wrote it down at the time. Your greatest ministry will most likely come out of your greatest hurt. Your greatest ministry will most likely come out of your greatest hurt. Now, I wish that wasn't the case because I don't like being hurt. I don't like being in pain. But in his loving and wonderful and imaginative economy, God enables my greatest hurt to provide an incredible, great ministry for his kingdom's sake. That's something I couldn't do on my own, but that's something that God does in me and through me. You see, in the kingdom, broken bread in the hands of a broken Lord provides redemption and healing for a broken world. Isn't that a wonderful thing? Broken bread in the broken hands of a broken Lord brings healing and reconciliation and redemption to a broken world in ways that are beyond our imagining. I've said this so many times. I used to think God used me despite my brokenness. And then I discovered a wonderful truth that God uses me because of it. Broken bread in broken hands. We break, we bleed, we hurt, we get sick, we get fearful. And when we put our broken selves in the hands of a broken Lord, he blesses us and he uses us and he gives us for the sake of a broken world, for the love of his people. He gives us health beyond what we can get in our own strength. He gives us life beyond what we could ever um, manufacture in our own power. He gives us light that shines in the darkness light for the world and it comes through the life of Christ in us. We are called to live healthy lives in the midst of a sick society and as we live out his life and his light and his health in a broken and dark world and a sick world, our lives make a difference. They proclaim the kingdom and they are prophetic in their exhibiting of God's love.
Anne Frank, young woman, said a single candle can both defy, define and defy the darkness. A single candle can both define and defy the darkness. And I say, how much more will the light of God shining through us do over and above that? It bursts through the darkness. It cuts through the darkness. It gives light. It gives hope. John chapter 1, verse 4 says, In him was life, and that life was the light of all humankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has never overcome it. Great, great words. And in 2 Corinthians, it says, what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord and our, ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. And that's in the context of Moses when he went up to receive the law, came down from the mountain and his face was shining so much he had to cover it up. But we with unveiled faces allow the light of Jesus to shine through us in a wonderful way. So that is our mission, our proclamation, our prophetic ministry to live the life of Jesus in all its abundance in a sick world to let his life and light be seen, that others may find healing and blessing through us. Now, I think I've, as always, I've always got too much to say, and um, we need to go and I need to let you have the opportunity to discuss this. So basically, first of all, just before you go, I want to say, in a world where marriages are sick and broken down, we are called to live healthy marriages. In a world where relationships are in schism and disconnected and struggling, we are called to engage in healthy relationships. In a world where mental health is falling down and anxiety and stress and depression is going up, we are called to live out the shalom of God in our being so that a strong sense of peace grounds us in kingdom life. As the same time as we are able to talk with vulnerability and honesty about our own struggles and help people to see how we deal with them and example getting help when needed. In a world where physical health is struggling, we are called to live out our lives by making healthy and good choices with regard to our own health. No wonder the governments have been talking to religious leaders all over the country to encourage them to live healthily, get their vaccinations, encourage, encourage their communities to do likewise. And in a world where people are desperate to find meaning and hope, we are called to live out healthy faith. Not faith that's blind to the need of those around us, but healthy living faith. We are called to make a difference and practice intercession in a world where 
people need to be shaped by our prayer life. Moses, every time he went to the tent to pray and talk to God, the whole of the people of Israel, hundreds of thousands of them, went and stood by the door of their tent. His prayer life shaped his community and yours and mine also has the power to shape our communities too. Those things matter. Your lives matter. Your lives change lives. Your lives change worlds when you live out healthy leadership in the context of a sick society. So I've whizzed through some because I always talk too much, but um, I've given Andrew some questions that I would really like you to um, discuss amongst yourselves in your group. I'd like you to, to discuss as you reflect on the health and community in which you, the health and well-being of the community in which you serve, what do you sense love is calling you to do? What do you sense God is calling you to do? What is he calling you to proclaim and model um, in terms of the kingdom and prophetic ministry? And I'm really practical. It has to make a practical difference for me. So I'd like you all, as you're discussing that, not to talk just about the big picture, not just to talk about what everybody else can do. I'd like you to have the conversation about what one thing can I start or do more of to proclaim the kingdom through my healthy leadership? Or what one thing can I stop or do less of that would enable me to proclaim the kingdom in terms of healthy leadership in my community? So we, we, we think about healthy leadership in the midst of a sick world and the, the first thought, how might my healthy living proclaim God's kingdom and express a prophetic ministry in a sick world? But secondly, how can I thrive rather than just survive? How can I thrive rather than just survive? in my well health and well-being when I am as fragile and vulnerable as the next person. And this is quite a challenge because I think in our group, somebody said in the first session of lockdown, we cope, we seem to cope a little bit better than we did in the second. And I think we, we here at the college, um, I think we did really, really well last year, but when we ended our second lockdown, we were already tired. We'd, done, we'd given our best shot for nine months. We'd put all of our energies into it, and suddenly we're in lockdown again. And it's challenging. It's difficult. It's not easy. And this whole idea of John 10.10, how can we actually live it? How can we live it? Um, one of the things that I always um, think of when I think of John 10.10 10 
And um, anyone who came on has been on Rhythms of Rest, which is a well-being retreat, which we got going when I was in the well-being department, will know that one of my favourite psalms that's always linked to this John 10.10 is Psalm 23. Because when Jesus spoke to his community, he spoke in a way that they would have made connections and they would have um, thought about. And he said to the people that he was the good shepherd in John chapter 10. I'm the good shepherd. And immediately they start, he started talking about the good shepherd. His Jewish audience would have thought back to all of the Old Testament things that they had been taught about God as the shepherd and the king as the shepherd and the Psalms that they would have learned by heart as an oral community, telling one another the stories of God. And Psalm 23 would have come up. And I'd like to read that to you because I think it's such um, an important thing for us to be aware of. I'm always very sad that Psalm 23 seems to be a funeral favourite rather than and a, a, a a psalm that people turn to at the end of life when it, it's the psalm that we that describes our life in all its fullness. So I'm going to share it. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. So you are with me. Your rod and your staff comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The way that we live, John 10.10, 10, the abundant life, is to live daily in the presence of the Lord who is our shepherd and in whom we lack nothing. This psalm is a stunning picture of life lived abundantly in God's presence, regularly being restored, regularly following his guidance, enjoying his provision, experiencing his favour and being with him now and forever. This is how we live life more abundantly. In this psalm, God is the shepherd who walks beside us, goes before us, never abandons us, 
but all together surrounds us. In relationship with the Good Shepherd, we lack nothing. He gives us life in abundance. When I read that psalm through, it seems a million miles away from our communities at the moment, doesn't it? Some of you might live in, in country um, places, but many of us lives in, live in towns and cities. And as I look out of my window from here, I see the shard, I can see the edge of the eye, I can see where they're rebuilding the station, Denmark Hill, it's nearly rebuilt, it's nearly got a new entrance on the other side of the station. And just beyond that, the Maudsley Hospital has built a new building. And at the side of us, if I was to be able to stretch out of my window and look, I would see the car park that's flattened where they're going to be building the new THQ building. And just over the road is the helicopter pad where the patients are brought in to King's College Hospital. It is always on the go. It is always busy. It's always frantic. And yet I read Psalm 23 and tell you it's an expression of my life in all its fullness. And so it is. Although it seems like a million miles away, in truth, his provision and care is every little bit as real as if I was sitting in an Israeli hillside watching the shepherd with his sheep. It's real here in Denmark Hill. It's real where you are as well. And although it might be, or in the North Yorkshire Dales, Andrew, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But the truth of it is, although it's an old fashioned, simple Psalm, it's the truth for today. It's the truth for you. It's what will give you healthy leadership in the midst of a sick world. Verses two and three, I read them. They provide us with restoration and renewal. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. They're things that God does for me when I can't do them for myself. And even the strongest of us have limited resources, especially when it comes to a pandemic and the chaos that's going to be left in its wake. I don't know if you've read the New York Times recently, but it's got this wonderful article and uses the word languishing to describe the impact on people's lives as a result of COVID-19. It, it talks about those, even those that have kept going and those that are strong and those that are keeping everybody else going, we're languishing. Isn't that a great word um, that describes how we are thriving, but not sur surviving, but not thriving. And it's our choice about whether we go with his leading and his making. We choose to respond. The Holy Spirit draws us into his love so that we can receive these, but it's our choice whether we can go or not. 
the love of Father, Son, and Spirit. We love that picture of, of, of the Trinity with a spare place at the table. We're being invited in to sit down, be nourished, be held, be fed, but it's our choice. Last week, I was rereading some of Solomon's song, and um, I don't know if you read it very often, um, or whether it's one of those books that you pass over, but I was rereading Solomon's song, and there's a wonderful little um, part of that Solomon's song where the beloved has, has, has had a bath and gone to bed, and she's oiled her feet, and she's all nicely um, uh, cleaned up and relaxed and lying in her bed. And the lover comes and knocks at the door and says to his um, beloved, let me in. I want to come in and see you. And she says, I've just had a bath and washed my feet and got into bed. And I don't, I'm not sure if I want to get up and, and mess my feet up and, and, um, and get out of bed. You can imagine it, can't you? It, it's sort of like a, 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 a funny little um, thing that goes on between couples. So, and, and then she suddenly said, then she, she heard his hand upon the door and, and her heart started racing and she thought, oh, but it's my lover. And she jumped out of bed, went to the door and her lover had gone. Christine Lee's laughing there. Have you done that <laughs> to your lovely husband at any time? I don't even want to know that. I'm glad you're muted. Um, but here's, here's this wonderful picture of somebody who hears her lover at the door and says, oh, I'm a bit busy. She had a choice. And she gets up and he's gone. And it is a picture, I think, of what happens to us sometimes. The Lord, he knocks at the door. Revelation, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears and opens, I will come in and fellowship with them. And so often the Lord's knocking at the door and we've got other things on or we've settled down or we've been busy all day and line of duties coming on. We don't realise how disappointing it's going to be. So we settle down and say, oh, Lord, later. And the moment passes. We have a choice of whether we are respond to the invitation of our lover to go and sit at the table and be included. Um, there's a great verse that um, I've been enjoying the um, the passion translation and um, if you look at the passion translation psalm 55 verse 22 a couple of weeks ago this um, was on my heart and mind nearly all week for a whole week um, here's what i've learned through it all if we think of the past year if i think of my past years following god my past years with the shepherd, this is what I can say. Here's what I've learned through it all. Leave all your cares and anxieties at the feet of the Lord and measureless grace will strengthen you. Isn't that a wonderful phrase? 
Here's what I've learned through it all. Leave all your cares and anxieties at the feet of the Lord and measureless grace will strengthen you. He will watch over his devoted lovers, never letting them slip or be overthrown. Measureless grace. He restores my soul. Promise of the shepherd. But it's an offer to us. It's an offer. That's verses two and three. God's restoration. Verse three, God's guidance. He leads me along the right paths for his name's sake. Um, in the New Testament, Jesus said, come, come to me, all you who are tired from carrying heavy loads. Take my yoke upon you. It's the invitation to go God's way, the invitation to slip in next to him and go at his speed, go in his direction because his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Do you think that your yoke is easy and your burden is light all of the time? Because that's the promise. When it's not, it's because we're stretching and straining to go our own way and we're going in our own footsteps and we've chosen our own road. But the yoked way is the easy way. I've got this thing at the moment that um, I've got a strong belief that the Salvation Army's decision-making tool should be the way of discernment rather than any other organisational practice. Discernment. And um, what my question is to you guys is, do you have your own framework or method for discerning the will of God for your life? Have you worked out? Do you have it or do you hope for the best? Do you, do you hope as you go from day to day that you might get a sense that God's leading you in the right way and you might get some sort of insight? Or have you thought about what is your discernment process? How do you, in community with your people, discern the will of God? Because it's, it's too important to leave to chance. And I would encourage you, take this seriously. Think about it. There are some really, really helpful practices that will help you to develop um, a way of that you can be comfortable and certain that you're making space and actually discerning the will of God. You see, the, what my experience has been is that we very often go into meetings where we want to make decisions and we pray at the beginning and ask God to help us to open our hearts and minds. And then we all take our own positions and argue our own position and try to get our own way. And, and it's like, that's not the way we discern the will of God. Think about it. There are some great books that will help you to do that. Ruth Haley Barton's got one of the best one. And um, oh, I've forgotten the name of it now. I'll let you have it, Andrew, if I can't, if you can't think of it. Um, but it's discerning God's will in community. And it's how to take your leadership through practices 
that will prepare you all for discerning the will of God. And it, it, it helps you how to pray the prayer of indifference. Lord, help me to be indifferent to everything in this situation except your way. It's got to be God's way or no way when we're, we're thinking about which way to go. And it helps us to start sensing for a sense of consolation, the rightness of my spirit with God's spirit. It helps us to start recognizing a sense of desolation, that that comes about when my spirit starts going my way rather than God's way. And it helps us to start settling down and making space. If you haven't got any other way, faith-based facilitation is a great tool for discernment. Um, pursuing God's will together. Thanks, Sam Jones. That's exactly the book that I was thinking of. It's got a great, great passages in. It's really practical and very, very suitable and usable by a, a church group together, a leadership team together. And I found it very, very helpful. Surely, if we're going to go follow Jesus in his way, it's got to be God's way or no way. Don't go if it's not his way. It leads you up the wrong path. I have gone up the wrong path so many times and wasted so much time and energy. Don't do it. Take the extra time to get to go God's way. Verse four reminds us of God's presence. So that's God's restoration, God's guidance. Verse four is God's presence. Verse four says, even in the darkest of valleys, you are with me. And here's another practice. Did you notice the writer goes from talking about God to talking to God? That's rhythms of rhythms of, of life and great rhythms where we go in and out of just talking to God in and out of our day. We're in practice. We're talking about we might be thinking about him. And suddenly we're in a situation we need to be talking to him. It's a wonderful experience. The more we walk with the Lord, the more we get used to doing that. And I would encourage you to do it. Psalm 46, 1 and 2. God is our refuge and our strength and ever-present help in times of trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. There's the confident writer, the person who knows what it is to be in the presence of God, who is our refuge and our strength. Whatever is happening in the world, God's presence is a place of safety. Now, in this pandemic, um, I, I, my experience has not been as scary as some people's experiences have been. Um, and yet I say without, with, with utmost confidence, because there have been other situations where I have been in a situation fearful for the life and death of people that I love. People fearful for the well-being of others and not being able to know what to do. And in those situations, when I have turned to Father God, he has always been there and never let me down. There have been times when I have said, Lord, I do not feel any faith at this moment. 
Lord, in my own strength, all I can see is darkness and what to worry about and all of that. So I'm going to claim now what you state in your word that I can claim, and I'm claiming it in faith. And in fact, you said it, you need to do it. Please hold me. And he always has. God is our refuge and our strength. He is a place of safety. This more than anything else is what will relieve our stress and relieve our anxiety. Even when we can't see a way out, that is what God does. The worst that the world can do cannot move us from that. Verse five, and I'm going to have to go quickly. Sorry, Andrew, I've spoken too much again. Verse five, God's favour, you prepare a table before me in the presence of everything that seems to be against me. That table is there. The table is laid. God's provision is there. In all things, God works for the good of those who love him, those who are called according to his purposes. God's promise. Give us this day our daily bread. We can pray with all confidence. When we need God, God is there. And verse six, God's eternity. We are citizens of heaven now. This is not stake on, this is not pie in the sky when you die. This is steak on your plate while you wait. There's a terrible phrase, but it's saying eternity is here and now. Surely goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our lives. Judith, that's lovely, but what do I do to receive it? You do just that, you receive it. And um, I had all sorts of things that I was going to show you, but it's too much and it'll have to wait for another time. And I'll do it there because I want to stop and give you time for prayer. So the, the thing that you need to know is that whatever you're going through, wherever you are, whatever your levels of energy, wherever you're broken or not broken, whether you're in good health or bad when you suffer difficult mental health challenges or when you don't, the Lord is your shepherd and he has everything you need to bring you through that on good days and on bad.